Please turn with me in your Bible this morning to the New Testament epistle of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as we're reading together the first seven verses. For those watching at home on our live stream broadcast, thank you for joining us this morning. And for those of us, those of us who watch Sunday by Sunday on our Fox Carolina program, thank you for joining us. And in fact, I'm going to talk about you a little later in the course of the morning service. And for those of us live here in the sanctuary, probably a week doesn't go by where someone says, I watch the service Sunday morning on TV, and then I have the same reply all the time. Please wave on Sunday morning, and I wave back. So, oh, someone just waved. So, I want to make sure that uh, they can see. Choir, can we wave? Special wave this morning from the choir. So, choir, thank you for entering into all of my shenanigans and silliness, so apart from that. So, delighted to have you watching on our Fox broadcast this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writes these words, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. And this morning, you may or may not know that this is what we as a church call Stewardship Sunday. And if you're visiting for the first time, or you're watching our broadcast for the first time, or perhaps you are in the choir for the first time, whatever your situation and background, you have joined us for a Sunday morning when we will be looking at how we live out our faith when it comes to our finances. Now, we don't focus on this subject every Sunday. In fact, far from it. But this is the one Sunday we do, because next Sunday is what we call Commitment Sunday. And I'm going to explain a little more about that in the course of our service. So, for these two Sundays, it's important that we have a focus on finance. And the reason we do is this, that in the course of any 12-month period as a congregation, Sunday by Sunday, we will be focusing on all sorts of issues. And we focus some Sundays on prayer, some Sundays on growing in your faith, but we consistently ask regularly, how do we live out our faith with authenticity and credibility when it comes to our family relationships, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to raising our children? Or how do we live out our faith in a place of work or in our neighborhood? 
And so we're asking ourselves regularly, how can we be more Christ-like in every area of our lives? Now, this doesn't make us perfect people. In fact, far from it. We recognize that we are not the folks we used to be, not the folks we want to be, but we consistently pray, Father, make us into the people you are calling us to be. In other words, be more Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. And so this morning, as we come to ask, how can we be more Christ-like? How can we be authentic and credible in our finances, in our giving? How do we manage all of that? We're coming to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, some of you will be familiar enough with 1 Corinthians to know a little about the congregation in, in Corinth. So, let me give you a little historical backdrop as to who the congregation are. Now, the city of Corinth itself was one of the most important trade cities in ancient Greece. You can still go and see the ruins today. It's about a 45-minute journey east of Athens. It was one of the connecting links between Rome and the capital of the empire in the east. It was a major trading center. In addition to that, the city was a melting pot for approximately half a million people, merchants and sailors, professional gamblers and athletes, free men and slaves, people from Rome, the rest of Greece, Egypt, Asia Minor, and the Mediterranean world inhabited Corinth. It was a large, busy, busy, bustling city. The Apostle Paul is writing to them. And he's writing at a number of levels. And in this section, he's dealing with generosity, but in previous sections, he's been dealing with all sorts of issues. And if you're familiar with First and Second Corinthians, First Corinthians is almost, I think, the best way to describe it is the Apostle Paul lifts the roof off of the church in Corinth and allows us to peer in and ask, what did they live through then? How does it apply to us? And how can we apply it as we seek to live out our faith today? And 2 Corinthians is a little different. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is wrestling with some tough and controversial issues. But 2 Corinthians, you find the great heart of Paul the pastor. He writes in warm, engaging, affectionate terms. It is very clear that he loves the folk at Corinth, and they have high regard for him as well. So, all of that is happening in Corinth. But here, he's writing about churches in Macedonia, that is a region north of Corinth, well up uh, in terms of geographical location from Corinth and ancient Athens, and he's also writing about the church in Judea, who are around 850, 900 miles south of where the church is in Macedonia. And I promise I'll try and put all this together and help you join the dots because I'm throwing a lot of information at you. And the churches of Macedonia were Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. And churches in Judea, as I mentioned minutes ago, almost 900 miles to the south, had been hit hard by a very severe famine. And that famine took place during the time of the Emperor Claudius, the years he was in power, 41 to 54 AD. And sadly, children were dying. There was no water, no food. 
the price of any kind of food that did exist was astronomical, and you can imagine the fallout from a season of severe famine. But up in the north, in Macedonia, here were these three congregations who decided they would want to help. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes about them. He says, one out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, what is Paul saying there? Let me break this down for you. Here were three congregations in northern Greece, and the gospel had impacted individuals, families, and communities. Small churches were beginning to sprout up here and there. And they heard of this famine in the south, and they said, let us help. And so when Paul writes, out of the most severe trial, what does he mean? He means this, that the churches in Macedonia had undergone some persecution. Now, it wasn't persecution by the state just yet, that would come, but this was persecution at a localized level. When people heard them talk about this newfound faith, this person called Jesus Christ, they saw a dramatic change in their behavior, and they were a little suspicious. And they're saying, who are these people? I used to know my Uncle Tom well, but now he's changed. He's become religious. He meets with these people every Sunday morning. And you know what? I hear they drink blood and eat the body of this Savior. And that, that's a genuine complaint against the early church, that they were cannibalistic in their behavior. And so those rumors began to build, and so there was social isolation and persecution. And that was tough to be in the receiving end of that. And here is Paul saying, out of the most severe trial, that's what he's talking about, their overflowing joy. Now, let me pause a second, because each of us is mature enough to know this, that joy usually doesn't come in the middle of persecution. I mean, none of us goes, thank you, persecuted again. Wasn't that great? Of course we don't do that. So what does Paul mean? What he's meaning is this, that when the gospel impacted the lives of these folks in these churches, they had that supernatural transforming experience with Christ. And suddenly they discovered He was real. Suddenly they discovered they had a relationship with Him. They discovered their sins had been forgiven. They discovered that He had drawn them into a relationship with Him. They discovered He answered prayer. They sensed His presence, almost as if He took them by the hand and walked with them day by day by day. And it was out of that experience of supernatural transformation and the deep abiding joy that came with it it was from that experience they said, we want to help. And so that's why Paul writes, out of the most severe trial, the persecution, out of overflowing joy, and then he adds, and their extreme poverty. Now, folks in Macedonia were not wealthy individuals. There was no significant employer in that region. Folks were for the most part, uh, living in small towns, agriculture, fishing was the main industry. But what they had, they said, 
we will seek to make a difference with what we have. And in fact, at the end of the passage, verse 7, it says, and they excelled in the grace of giving. They excelled. And I mentioned earlier, can you imagine what that meant for the folks in Judea? People we had never met, people who do not know us, are praying for us, and they have taken up a collection, and now we have the resources to buy food for ourselves, for our children, and we'll get through this famine. What a difference that made. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, I kind of hear all that you're saying, and I appreciate what you're saying, but Richard... Going from the 21st century to the 1st century is quite a leap. And I kind of understand, I think, a little between the link between Macedonia and Judea. But what are the lessons for us today? Richard, I always like when you give us the historical backdrop and we get a little better education and we always are fascinated by that and we like it. But how does it apply to us today? Well, let me try and do exactly that. As a congregation, we are in the middle of exciting days. I'm going to talk about them in a moment or two. And earlier this year, back in March, we celebrated our 175th birthday. It was a great anniversary. In fact, we had a wonderful weekend to terrific services. We were able to go over and see part of our new building. And we look back today, back to March, and we look back with great affection. But we also said back in March that we will never be a congregation who live in the past. Now, do we give thanks to God for His faithfulness for 175 years? Of course we do. Do we delight in that anniversary? Absolutely. And we trust and pray that we'll still be here for the next 175th anniversary. Uh, I mean as a congregation, not just a church, and that would be a lot of fun. But in the midst of that, we're also asking, what difference do we make in our community and our city? If for some unimaginable reason, we did not exist as a congregation tomorrow morning, would we be missed? And I think we would. And I think we would for this reason, because we intentionally, prayerfully, carefully seek to serve the community we live in. And we do so by supporting and supporting significantly mission agencies who deal with those who are homeless, those who are on substance abuse, drug and alcohol addiction. We deal with those and help support missions. We heard it last weekend of those involved in human trafficking and the horror that comes with that. We help support agencies who deal with folks who are unthinkable, uh, having to go through domestic violence. And those are just a handful of ministries we support. And we support here in Greenville, we support across the state, across the nation, and in fact, internationally as well. And so as a congregation for us, it's not enough to say we want to make a difference on Sunday, but we actually make a difference on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and throughout the week, month after month, year after year, by saying we want to live out our faith in the most practical way we can. And we do. And it's remarkable to see it. 
Now let me take my point a little further. Back in 2012, and I'm reasonably sure I shared this with you at the time, the Nobel Prize winner was Sir John Gurdon, G-U-R-D-O-N. He received the Nobel Prize for medicine. And at the press conference after he was awarded, after it was announced rather, uh, he was being interviewed and one of the journalists said to him, have you always been good at science? And he said, mm, not really. And then he went on to tell a story about a report card he received when he was a wee boy. And it said this, his work has been far from satisfactory. The teacher wrote, if he can't learn simple biological facts, he would have no chance of doing the work of a specialist, and it would be a sheer waste of time, both on his part and of those who have to teach him. The teacher said that Gurdon had gotten into trouble several times and didn't listen. On one exam, he had scored two out of a possible 50, and he was at the bottom of the class. Now, the teacher's assessment was absolutely accurate. It's not manufactured or fabricated. She was right. Now, it's easy in hindsight, isn't it, to look back and say she was focused on the results and on his behavior and not on the person. In ministry, we try to focus on the person. We try to see the person as created in the image of God. We try and seek in the midst of supporting ministries and involved in our own ministries, we seek to see not only the person created in the image of God, but the potential for that person to grow and develop, to blossom, to become the person that God is calling them to be. And we provide not only financial resources to help, but we provide hope, and we provide transformation in the gospel, and we provide opportunity for new life and a relationship with Him. And so, for all those reasons, we intentionally are active serving our community, serving our city, and in fact, beyond. And as a congregation, what lies at our core? Well, I've mentioned this several times in the past, but our number one priority is that we provide opportunities for people to encounter God in all His beauty and glory through engaging, life-transforming corporate and also private worship. We seek to be a congregation that is a warm, welcoming, spiritual home for all age groups. We seek to continue being a church that is life-giving and life-affirming. We develop opportunities for intergenerational engagement, and that's a rather fancy way of saying for all ages. We intentionally equip people to live out their faith amidst the demands and distractions of daily life in a 21st century context. We seek to prayerfully transform the spiritual heart of the city. We want to be known as a downtown church where you can engage with God and have your life utterly transformed, and doing so in the most practical, authentic, credible manner we can. And let me give you some examples of that. Now, what I'm about to tell you, of course we can stretch it and turn it into something it isn't, but let me give you some statistics. 
about three weeks ago, their children's director came to me and said, Richard, we have so many children attending on Sunday morning, we have maxed out on classrooms for our children. We need more volunteers and we need more classrooms. Now, that is a little ironic given that in the last two years we opened three-story building only for children, and that's a nice problem that we now have, and we'll be able to manage all of that. But what it's telling us is that young families are coming, and they are coming in significant numbers. And not only do we see it on Sunday morning with children attending, we also see it when it comes to the sacrament of baptism. Statistically speaking, Presbyterian churches across the nation usually bury twice as many people as they baptize. When I checked 10 days ago, we had on our schedule for this year up to late October some 20 funerals and 58 baptisms. We had several this morning, and we had them at the other services too. And that is telling us that young families are attracting young families that are attracting young families, and it's a spectacular problem to have. Out of our 50-something new member class recently, 75% were under 33. It tells us again and again and again that young families and younger people, and not just young families and younger people, are looking for authenticity and credibility when it comes to issues of faith. They want to see a church that's growing, that's vibrant, whose walk equals its talk. Earlier I mentioned our Sunday morning broadcast on Fox Carolina at 10.30. Now, previous to COVID, about six months before COVID hit, in fact, we started our live streaming broadcast, and we mention it every Sunday. But we don't always mention those watching on Fox Carolina. The last time I checked the numbers, it was around 2,500 people would watch on an average Sunday. Nielsen Television ratings 10 days ago told me that it's now jumped up to 5,500 or even slightly more. Can you imagine that 5,000 people on a Sunday morning settle down to watch us on TV? And they do. They do. Which is remarkable. Of course, we have just opened up a brand new building, a worship and art center, or children's block, as I mentioned. We have a gathering space, new gymnasium, coffee store, bookstore. I'm sure I'm missing some things, youth area, and of course, additional classrooms for folks to meet in for Sunday school, and also uh, some additional offices for church staff. We are a large, growing church. The bad news, however, is last Tuesday night, we had a fire. It was very limited and very restricted. It happened on our missions wall in the gathering space. The first thing you need to hear is no one was hurt. Secondly, there was significant water damage, and if you've been over there this morning, you will see all of that is drying out, and it's nothing we can't fix in eight or ten weeks. Nothing we can't fix. And so we're grateful for the fire department and the sprinkler system that kicked in and dealt with all of that. But I want to settle a rumor this morning, and the rumor is that the church has CCTV footage of Brian Stewart standing next to the mission wall having a smoke break. <laughs> now, let me 
stop that rumor immediately. The fact that I started the rumor is neither here nor there. It's still a rumor, but nonetheless. Brian, incidentally, had foot surgery recently, and he'll be out for a couple of weeks, but I will hear about this when he comes back. Uh, but you should feel free to email him and text him and say, Brian, we are so surprised you started the fire. Please, feel free, absolutely free to do that. Now, apart from all of my silliness, we are in the midst of being a church that makes a difference. And we're able to make a difference because some of you, for 25 and 30 and 35 and 40 years, have actively, intentionally, prayerfully carved out 10% of your annual income, turned it into a tithe, and have then donated it to the work that we're involved in. And we're involved in some 90 mission agencies. It's remarkable the work we're involved in. And there is a significant number of you who have done that consistently. And so please hear me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We could not be the congregation we are without you stepping up. And please hear me, giving sacrificially. Now, there's another group of us somewhere around four and a half uh, who give rather four and a half or five percent of your income. And you're kind of in the agent stage where you think, Richard, I'd like to give more, but I'm not sure I can. And so, once again, every little helps. So, thank you for that. And then there's a final group of us who, $25 this Sunday and in a month's time, another $25. And there's all sorts of reasons and circumstances for that. But again, thank you. And so, let me try and wrap things up this morning with a challenge. And here's my challenge because I've thrown an awful lot at you. This week, you're going to receive a letter from the church, as we do it this time every year. It will have my signature on it. I drafted it over the last couple of weeks. But with that stewardship letter is a commitment card. And here is what I'd like to challenge you with. And this challenge is fairly simple. So I don't want you to think it's just too complicated and I can't work it out. So let me make it nice and simple. And churches call this the amazing 1% because it's an approach that says to those who give, examine your annual income for 2024 and increase your giving on the basis of 1% of your annual income. For those who give 4 or 5% of your annual income, Again, look at your giving for 2024. Take 1% and add it to what you already give. And then those who are a little haphazard in your giving and haven't quite disciplined yourself to do this, this is your week when you start saying, okay, I'm going to take out electronic giving or I'll give directly through my bank or however you want to do it. I am going to say that I will look at my annual income from next year and I'll give 1%. And then next year, 2%. The year after, 3%. And gradually build up because it's awfully hard to go from giving 1% to 10% in 12 months. Awfully difficult. So my challenge overall is this. 1% of your annual income and increase your giving through that 
And Paul talked about the joy of giving. I would have to say for Ruth and I, that took several years for us to get there as a young couple and as young Christians. But in getting there, my philosophy has changed. And it's changed where I no longer think, oh dear, I need to give this to the church. Now I say, I can't wait to participate in and invest in. And at that point, the joy becomes very real because you see changed and transformed lives and a congregation who's flourishing. And I think if each one of us stepped up by 1% of their income for next year, that would indeed be absolutely amazing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And thank you that it, on the one hand, encourages us, but on the other hand, challenges us. And Father, we pray and ask, and we dare to pray, that this week you would challenge us in the area of financial giving. For those of us who don't, help us please to be serious about our giving. For those of us who don't give what we're able to, challenge us to step up as well. And for those of us who give and give generously and have for years, Father, thank you for each one and enable them likewise to take seriously the call, your call this morning. And so, Father, we commit this week to you. We know that it is a sensitive subject, and yet we also know the joy of what it means to give and to give generously and sacrificially. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all that you are doing in our midst, and may we live and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.